Code Grays, an episode-by-episode recap of Grays Anatomy. My name's Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. And join us for Season 2, Episode 11, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Uh, so, okay, I was looking at your notes and I was like... Was we it? don't have to talk about <laughs> I think it's important that we do. <laughs> I had a revelation mm-hmm. early on in this episode yes. about exactly what episode this was and I got really gay really fast yep <laughs> and I'm already operating at like kind of peak gay yeah yeah like like 95 <laughs> percent yeah yeah basically I realized at a certain point that this is the episode with Rosanna Arquette she played the incredible Sherry Jaffe mm-hmm. on The L Word, season one or season two, I think. And she makes yeah. another appearance around season four when the character of Shane, uh, played by Kate Minig, cheats on Carmen, played yes. by Sarah Shahi. Yes. <laughs> cheats on Carmen on the day of their wedding with oh, Sherry Jaffe, God. who, again, is played by Rosanna Arquette. And played in such a per- – like, she's so – it makes so much sense that I ended up loving The Real Housewives so much because it's like Sherry <laughs> Jaffe was, the, like, the first Real Housewife that I encountered. <laughs> like, she's this tragic, rich, white woman character who is over the top and much older than Shane and just bored by her life of luxury and – is just all about pleasure and i totally stan carmen and shane like uh, i'm ride or died for charmin i am mm. but i'm gonna say something pretty controversial here Uh-oh. which is that shane and sherry jaffe for me were end game <laughs> wow yeah wow <laughs> they were end game i felt like they really had something anyway now that i've aged myself considerably Rosanna Arquette is in this episode. She's basically playing like Sherry Jaffe. I was going to say like a bank robbery <laughs> after Shane. Yeah. You yeah, know, like, like this is like a completely like... reasonable thing that a former lover of Shane's would do is kill yes. three people. <laughs> yeah. She's left her husband. She doesn't have any money. She like starts hard drugs and goes on a killing spree for her new lover. <laughs> And Shane's just like, what? 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 <laughs> and I- Shane, like, hangs out with her for conjugal visits. So. <laughs> Thank I don't you think for that. you get those if you're in solitary <laughs> I confinement. But. I don't think you do. <laughs> so anyway, Sherry Jaffe anyway. was a really important milestone for me. And one of the most important characters to come out of the L word. Yeah. And I'm kind of a like weirdo. That is not a common position to be in. Oh, no, it's really not. With regards <laughs> to the L word. Even I know that. <laughs> I just think that Rosanna Arquette is mm-hmm. sexy as hell. Mm-hmm. Even right. in this episode of Grey's Anatomy, I would go so far to say, I might have a problem. <laughs> or you might be Shane. <laughs> Which, <laughs> fucking rude. Hey, Shane's hot. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, I'm really glad that we spent the first seven minutes discussing Sherry Jaffe. Yeah. And I didn't mean that sarcastically. I'm genuinely really happy. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. Okay. Let's talk about this episode. Let's talk about people actually in this episode. Was this, do you know if this originally was a two hour special? Or was no, it broken I'm up into sure two? I'm pretty sure it was broken up. Okay. Well. Eh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Proceeds to not look it up. On the <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we just had a silent agreement that we were not yeah, going to We didn't care enough. <laughs> so, all right. I'm going to do a quick summary here for us. Oh, yeah. That's right. You are. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so Dory's quints have been born, and they're all basically dying, except for one. Um, There's a guy who comes in, and he has melanoma, so he gets a leech treatment. He is very awkward and is too comfortable around George. George then proceeds to slut-shame Olivia, 
in front of this patient. Um, he Olivia didn't even know about Alex and Izzy, and that's a point of contention. Um, there's a murderer. Sherry Jaffe swallows four razor blades to get out of solitary confinement. Um, Izzy is pissed at Meredith for being too nice to Alex, and Meredith solves everything by adopting a dog. Stop. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure I missed some stuff, but we were talking about before that this episode's a little bit... I, I actually like this episode quite a bit, but there aren't very clear storylines. Everybody's kind of doing everything in this episode. Yeah. So. And everyone's kind of a part of everyone else's storyline, Yeah, too. that's... I so. guess that's well said. Which is, you know, like, I guess, good writing or something. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I guess that's the point. <laughs> Can we talk really quickly, uh, just to start us off here, because I appreciated your feedback about Christina and Burke. Yeah. <laughs> That this is kind of a throwaway scene, but on the ongoing saga of Burke not understanding Christina, that at the very beginning, Burke has gotten up early and proceeded to make like a full and complete breakfast for himself and Christina. And Christina, like, you know, gets up, grabs her shit and is like barreling out the door. And he's like, I made you breakfast. And she just like doesn't give a shit. I don't think she's eaten breakfast a day in her goddamn life. Yeah. And which is completely reasonable, first of all, knowing Christina and second of all, knowing that she's a fucking intern, you know, like there's no (laughs) way that she has time and energy to to eat breakfast. So but one of the things that I noticed about this particular scene really just fueled the fire or like fan the flame for me of why I get so frustrated with Burke and Christina or Burke's attitude toward Christina, that this entire scene when Christina's like running around trying to get ready for work saying, no, she doesn't want breakfast. Burke is looking at Christina like... (laughs) Like, he's just totally disgusted with her. You know, like, I can't believe that you wouldn't sit down and eat breakfast with me. And I can't believe you wouldn't, you know, be bothered to drink your coffee out of a mug, you know, with me in our home this morning. And the expression on his face wants, like, it just makes me want to crawl through the screen and punch him across the face. I just like, to me, because to me, it looks like she's so clearly trying to do her job and get to work so she can do the thing that she loves and that she's been working so hard for. And he's like disgusted with her professional drive and it pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. It's such a confusing response to her because it's like, do you not remember being an intern? Right. <laughs> like what? I don't understand. Did you not also go to medical school? <laughs> I don't Were know. you eating like full, <laughs> robust breakfasts? Like before? buttered toast cut into triangles? <laughs> yeah. I, I... <laughs> he's just an idiot. Like, he's just an idiot. <laughs> and you're right that it's it's such a throwaway line, and yet it's, it's tells you so much. It's so telling. It's so about telling. About Burke and Christina. Which is really the only, the only, I mean, it comes up a little bit at the very end of the episode, but it's really the only thing that we see in terms of Burke and Christina um, in this particular episode. Yeah. But it, it's like the opening scene. Thank so God. I, just, I know. Thank God is right. So should we maybe start with the quints? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think they kind of inform where all of our interns are, right? Like every yes. every intern gets a quint and every intern is a quint, I think. Yes. <laughs> I really appreciated your your thing what your comment when you said it's like they each get to adopt a puppy <laughs> but also not all the puppies will live right so exactly <laughs> rough <laughs> this woman whose name is dory we didn't we didn't know her name before <laughs> i think we did yeah <laughs> her name is calperna <laughs> So Dory and her cast of Sex in the City are not doing super well. <laughs> and I, she's just kind of a textbook case of a postpartum, postpartum <laughs> It's like, oh, depression. I have been saying it wrong for a long time. <laughs> That's how quickly I trust literally anything you say from what it's worth. That's really scary. <laughs> I just had a moment of like deep-seated doubt about it. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> postpartum depression. Yeah. She is just, she doesn't want to be around the babies. She doesn't want to really talk about them. She's just completely withdrawing from the situation. And it's requiring so much energy to get her to reconnect. Yeah. So she is textbook postpartum depression. And, and Meredith has really taken a personal 
interest she, she's sort of personally invested in getting dory out of this rut i don't know maybe as a woman who has incredible mommy issues who can say i'm not really sure if that has anything to maybe. do with it just a projection there one of the quints is doing more or less fine and the other ones are just really in varying degrees of of almost dying <laughs> of death right <laughs> um one of them's organs is growing on the outside of its body which you made a point about about Christina having to care for her. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. But I just think it's it's kind of sweet that the least vulnerable person in this group of interns is in charge of the Quint who has all of her organs outside of her body. Yep. So that's kind of precious. Yep. So they're all, each of our, our five interns is caring for one of the five Quints. <clears throat> and Addison is sort of trying to, to wrangle all of our interns together and trying to care for all of them which in hindsight is is uh, probably a job too big for one ob specialist in terms of five dying quints and one postpartum depressed mom <laughs> yeah i mean you know? like, what's the size of the program they're working with that's what Seattle i'm saying Grace? why is it just addison <laughs> i don't know i have no idea especially like i was thinking about it today about how when arizona robbins eventually comes in that, like, we just operated for, you know, seven years on this show without a pediatric surgeon. <laughs> yeah. And I understand. I don't know. It's just kind of a funny. It, it, it's, I just think it's abundantly clear in this particular case of the Quints that that it's just too much for, you know, that it's like one badass doctor and five dumbass interns. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's like a, and one meddling husband. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we have to work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She tries the strategy. Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling with words today. You got this. <laughs> Where she wants to find like some kind of killer instinct in 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 excuse me in Izzy, mm -hmm. and it just doesn't happen. It backfires so totally. So she's talking with the chief about, you know, do you remember that thing you did to me when I was your student? And they're being super vague, but basically he put her in charge of keeping a patient alive who was definitely going to die. And so Addison decides to do the same thing to Izzy in order to get Izzy to not be so emotionally attached to her cases. So she gives her overnight charge of one of the quints who is, for all purposes, pre-death. Right. Circling the drain. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she says to Izzy before she leaves, you know, this is your patient and make no mistake, she better be alive when I get back tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. The baby does not make it through the night. <laughs> you know, I, I agree that I think that this is a terrible, terrible idea. A and not because, you know, I couldn't imagine. I'm struggling. They're so incredibly vague about how the chief did this with Addison that it's hard to really imagine a world in which this is successful. So I don't, I, I you know, it's so unsuccessful with Izzy. And I think in our opinion that she just really... Izzy's not a good candidate for this kind of thing. And yes, Izzy does get too close for her for her patients or to her patients, but ultimately I, I it's just it's just a it's just a huge miscalculation, I think is the word that you used for it on behalf of Addison. And it's just like sad and frustrating to watch in a way that I don't I, I just really struggled to see sort of a grand purpose behind this, you know, just really missed the mark, I think, on what on the lesson that they were trying to teach Izzy in my mind. There are so many different ways to teach that lesson than this incredibly painful one, which she's clearly not strong enough to to handle. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt so specifically like Addison was. It just feels like a, a, a huge professional miscalculation, like the way I described it is that she totally over-identifies with Izzy. Like, she latches mm. on to Izzy as, as though she sees something of herself in Izzy. And so, in doing so, she sets up Izzy to fail because she's she's grading Izzy according to a rubric that she would grade herself, which isn't yeah. fair because, A, Izzy's not aware of the rubric, rubric and, B, they're yeah. nothing alike. And that's just nothing. a huge misjudgment when it comes yeah. to Izzy. And, and so she just sort of projects 
you know, your younger self onto Izzy without any real understanding of who Izzy is as a doctor, as a person. And I feel like she she's trying to correct an issue that to give credit to Addison, she sees as more dangerous more quickly than any of the other doctors do when it comes to Isabel Stevens. Mm-hmm. But she goes about it in such an awful way that I can't help but feel like she maybe even precipitates what Izzy goes on to do later in this season. Oh yeah, I I I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Aside from the fact that I think that it's using a infant child as as a tool for trying to teach a doctor not even a surgical skill i don't know the the whole thing it's it just it just smells bad to me you know like the whole thing what an extreme way to try and teach someone you know basically bedside manner (laughs) exactly that's my point is that to me it's the 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 skill that Izzy is lacking or the common sense that Izzy is lacking when it comes to patient relations is actually quite teachable. You know, it's, it's not, it's, it's teaching her to draw lines, to draw boundaries and to do such an extreme measure for everybody involved. Right. It takes a huge personal toll on Addison to, to try and do this with Izzy as it does it with Izzy as it does with this, obviously with this baby. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a really, it just smells sour to me. Yeah. And I don't like it. Yeah. I completely agree. I feel like she, you know, this is she and Karev have a lot more in common when it comes to yes. their styles, their approaches to medicine, not necessarily their bedside manners, certainly. Mm. But mm-hmm. I if there was an intern to try this with, it probably would have been Karev. Yes. As opposed to how Derek is trying to mentor Karev right now. And I don't know that that's the best approach to get to Karev yeah I feel like we have some real teaching failures this episode (laughs) I agree I agree wholeheartedly all right should we move on to the creepy dude with the leeches oh Carl Carl (laughs) he's so weird he is so weird do you think they meant for him to be that weird I, I, I don't know I can't decide if it's an issue of writing an issue of like musical cues or an issue yeah. of the actor. I really can't. I don't know. This guy, okay, so this guy is, he has melanomas, essentially, from, from being outside too much. He's an outdoorsy guy. And he is creepy as fuck. All right? He is just a creepy fucking dude. And, and so what they have to do is uh, with melanomas, it's they, they have to thin his blood. So they're using leech therapy, which, of course, thins your blood and sucks the blood out. And Of course. <laughs> of course. Olivia is the nurse on call or, you know, the nurse on the case and she's afraid of worms. And so George, of course, has to help her. And this guy and George, I, they like make my skin crawl when I see them in the same room together. And I like, not because of the leeches. It just makes me uncomfortable. It's terrible. It's really awful. Yeah, he's really weird. He tries to... So part of what's so creepy about him is the way he tries to play the mediator between Olivia and George, who are being super inappropriate themselves by, you know, yes. uh, sort of airing out their dirty laundry in front of a patient, which George begins by... He, she says, like, leeches make me squirmish, and he's like, I don't know, that's not what I heard. Yeah, or like that. yeah, and you're just like, okay, buddy. Right. Right. So I, it's definitely um, inappropriate that they sort of begin that with him. But mm-hmm. his his attempt at playing mediator is just so incredibly creepy. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. And it's not, you know, he has nobody. The doctors to offset him are George. <laughs> Right, you know, to, to to offset his discomfort, right? Like, Derek can be totally fine around uncomfortable people because he's so comfortable. Right. Right. So we have this, like, really uncomfortable patient who's, like, creepy and weird. And then we have George who's supposed to be balancing him. And George is having a weird situation with Olivia. So it just feels so imbalanced and uncomfortable as a viewer that I just want to, like, fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm totally with you. And he also, he just does a lot of touching yeah. He just keeps like putting his hand on to 
you know, onto George's shoulder and just holding it there yep. for way too long. He does the same thing, like putting his hand onto George's hand and holding it there way too long while he's like trying to mentor him. And it's like, are you it's in love with so George? Creepy. Are you trying to mediate? Are you trying to mentor? Uh, like, I just don't understand. And then to top it all off, he wants to take the leeches home yes. with him. And it's just like, okay. And he well. still wa- wears his <laughs> wedding ring from his divorce like decades yeah. ago. He just, yeah. everything about him is like... If, you know, I don't know. Mm-mm. If he was your Uber driver, you would get out, you know? Like, you would not yes, stay in that yes. car. Yes, That's a great way to say that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's talk about Sherry Jaffe. Yes. <laughs> or, I guess her name in this show is Constance Ferguson. Whatever. We're going to keep referring great name to her for what it's worth. as Sherry Jaffe. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Constance Ferguson, Ferguson, <laughs> Connie Ferguson, <clears throat> Sherry Jaffe is in solitary confinement. Uh, it becomes, you know, it's revealed to us that she was a meth addict and her boyfriend or husband, I can't remember which, you know, she was high and her, shoot, now I'm losing. I'm pretty sure it's her boyfriend. Did he, he convinced her to do yeah, it? Yeah, he, he was said like, he was if break you don't help he me with this bank robbery, then I'll leave you. And she didn't have anyone. Yeah. She was totally alone. She was like, I didn't want to be alone. So she did it, and she killed. they killed three people. And so now she's, of course, in prison. She's in solitary confinement. <clears throat> and what she, she self-mutilates in order to get out of solitary confinement. This is not her first time doing this. Uh, so, Which I really, frankly, I don't think anyone can, can blame her. <laughs> you know, she's in solitary yeah. confinement. I think it's 22 hours a day. Uh, so she swallows four razor blades she tapes them up first and she says well that's what i usually do but this time she swallowed four and it's providing you know proving to be quite complicated and she has to have pretty drastic stomach surgery and it's it's pretty hard she's like immediately she's like a she's so brazen like you know like her attitude toward this whole thing is is sort of like really gritty and sort of tough to watch but in a way that you know it's sort of supposed to be really tough to watch You know, <laughs> she says, you know, at one point when Yang is like not wanting to get super close to her or whatever, she goes, Come on, baby, I'm not going to hurt you. I only murdered three people and none of them were doctors. She's like, relax, baby. Yeah, yeah. she calls <laughs> everyone great. baby. <laughs> and so she sort of treats the hospital like her, like a hotel. Yes. You know, she starts demanding like chocolate pudding and ice cream and this and that and the other thing, because of course she is, <laughs> you know, she has literally nothing to lose. <laughs> She's a great example of that. She specifically requests mint chocolate chip ice cream, which tells me like that she's maybe never been to a hospital before because they're definitely mm. just going to serve you like shitty sorbet. <laughs> it's not. Yep. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'd like some Ben and Jerry's cookie dough ice cream. Like, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I also wanted to offer up this extremely hot take that mint chop mint chocolate chip ice cream sucks it's gross i don't give a fuck it is gross it's maybe the worst i know that ice we cream. agree on a lot of things but it's real i would you know i would say nine times out of ten i would rather have no ice cream than have mint chocolate chip ice cream that's because it's gross all right mint is cold and ice cream is cold yes so when you're com- when you're combining the two it's like it's like a freeze ray right to the back of my throat and it's like mouthwash it's, yeah it's like why are you, like, thank you for mixing like, I'm not trying to brush my teeth i'm trying to eat dessert mouthwash. exactly 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 like, and i'm just like why are there not more chocolate chips actually why is this not just fucking chocolate yeah. ice cream <laughs> which is a reasonable flavor <laughs> anyway so that's just a little sidebar <laughs> but this yes. is so it starts off as kind of a comedic story arc you know Sherry Jaffe is, like you said, she's just treating the ho- the hospital as her hotel and the doctors and nurses as her servers and maids and whatnot. And she's not at all likable, right? She's actively pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, she really is. <laughs> you know, she finds out that it's going to be a stomach surgery and she's like, oh, does that mean I'm going to get will I be in here longer, right? So her entire mm-hmm. point of being there is 
how long can I extend this stay so that she doesn't have to go back to solitary confinement? And she realizes that this surgery, even though she swallowed four razors, is still not going to be a super intensive surgery. It's just going to be a couple of days recovery in the hospital, and then she's going to be out of there. And so she decides right. to, after a conversation with Yang, I'm not saying that these things go together, that like Yang mm. drives Sherry Jaffe to do what Sherry Jaffe ultimately does, but Yang essentially asks, I don't even know how they end up discussing what Sherry Jaffe did, but she sort of explains why she did it. And she's like, I didn't I didn't want to be alone. I didn't have anybody. If you left me, I would have been completely mm-hmm. alone. And Yang just says something particularly cruel about, you know, that sometimes uh, solitude is is maybe what you need or whatever, um, like a reference to her solitary <laughs> confinement. And it is like this brutal irony, of course, that she, yep. that what landed her in solitary confinement was specifically an act meant to avoid solitary confinement <laughs> because yep. guys is just cruel like that. So after this conversation with Yang, where Yang offers no empathy or compassion and, and frankly, doesn't need to you know right right she shatters a light bulb and swallows its shards which punctures her esophagus esophagus yes Mm -hmm. oh no trachea trachea it punctures her trachea which is not good it's bad news it's real bad and so she goes into shock you know obviously she's choking and the nurse comes in and christina can't get a tube down and she's you know has to go into immediate surgery and it's it's i mean it's awful right i mean like swallowing shards of a light bulb is is just terrible it's the new low and yeah so she you know is rushed into surgery and she makes it out of surgery and she's sort of coming to and this is toward the end of the episode and and yang is there when she wakes up and and sherry jaffe tries to to speak and she says you know don't talk this is what happened she says, we have to keep you here so that you can heal. Um, you, you'll be here for, for about 10 days. And and Sherry Jaffe leans over to grab Christina's hand. And Christina instinctively backs away. And it is a, a shattering moment. I think it's awful. It's it's really, really terrible to watch her reach out for, for just a basic human touch. And Christina can't do that. And she recognizes immediately what she's done. And she turns to go and sees the guards at the door because, of course, she's a murderer. <laughs> and she turns back and she says, you know, maybe to be safe, let's let's maybe make it two weeks. And it's a tough scene. Yeah. It is a tough scene. We go from this, you know, re- like you said, a, frankly, a pretty annoying patient to just uh, Grace does such a good job of forcing you, putting you in a position where you cannot help but feel truly like almost empathy for these characters <laughs> You know, and just the, at the drop of a hat. It's really, really tough. It's really well acted. And I think that it does a lot of a lot of heavy lifting for Christina's character that we see a lot mm-hmm. of like how hard it is for her to experience her own humanity and stuff and and, and yeah. how hard it is. She is the opposite problem of Izzy, of course, right? Like how hard it is, how hard it is to make a connection with her patients in a meaningful way that might provide them additional comfort, right? Where Izzy can't help herself. And so it's, it's a great, it's a great storyline. And Roseanne Arquette is fabulous. Yeah, it it is a really good storyline. And I, and I was struck with the moment when she came on, screen I was like oh I remember really liking the storyline and I haven't seen this episode in you know probably a couple years and and she came on and I was like oh my god she's terrible like how do how do I remember liking the storyline like she's awful (laughs) like this is so annoying to watch like you know and then at the end I was like oh yeah, yeah that's right you know you sort of see this this window and I think that I I was I'm struck by in this particular episode, oftentimes, of course, always in this show, I'm struck by the contrast and comparison of, of Meredith and Christina. But Christina, like you said, she she has this, this sense of humanity with her, right? She sort of has to work at being a human being <laughs> a lot of the time. 
And I think it's a really interesting foil to Meredith, who does these sort of small acts of humanity so naturally, right? Izzy does them to excess, <laughs> right? Izzy, Izzy connects too closely, yeah. right? To like way, way far in the extreme. But I think that Meredith and Christina proved to be a really nice um, balance to each other in that way, because Christina has to work for these moments, right? She's She has to think about giving... Uh, Sherry Jaffe an extra couple days she has to think about at the end of the episode she pauses she's running out of the apartment with Burke and she pauses and comes back and eats a piece of toast with him right and and you can Which see her Christina like you can is see like her... a big it's a big moment <laughs> yeah it's a huge huge deal that she does that because you can see I, I mean Sandra was such a good actress she is just absolutely out, outstanding but one of the things that I love is that you can her facial acting is so good and you can see her the wheels turning in her head as she has to consciously make this decision to move um, to move her her patient's care to two weeks to to stop and pause and eat a piece of toast with Burke that she has to choose actively choose to be more human toward these people in her life and and She's just totally the opposite of Meredith in a lot of ways, where she, Meredith just can't help herself but but do these things. You know, she doesn't think about them, and she does them, you know, more or less appropriately, I think oftentimes in a self-damaging way. But she's, you know, some of the things that Meredith does, right, she she has this connection with Karev that we'll talk about, and she does that really naturally. She connects with Dory, this woman who's suffering from postpartum depression. She, you know, sort of seamlessly resolves things with Izzy you know she's just doing all these things that are very similar to what Christina is trying to do but she does them just with with more or less ease and it's interesting it's just interesting to watch the two of them grow up where, where Meredith's trying to learn how to hold herself back from doing these things and Christina's trying to push herself forward to do these things right they're they're pretty much perfect together yeah they are they are it's cool to watch it's we're getting to the point where we really know them and it's cool to watch them grow up a little bit like this together yeah if you combine them into one person, they would be like a really complete person. But sadly, yeah, that's true. It's not how that works. <laughs> They're just half people. Yep. <laughs> just gonna keep being partial people for a long time, like a really long that's time right. though. <laughs> Should we talk a little bit about Izzy then and Alex? Yeah, and just this brings a lot of the storylines together, actually. So Izzy walks in, at the end of last episode Izzy walks in on Alex sleeping with Olivia so this mm. episode opens with Izzy's just abject rage over the situation which I will say is very satisfying to watch it is <laughs> it is kind of hard for me because she's she's super pissed at Olivia which I get but at the same time Olivia didn't even know that Alex was with Izzy. This wasn't information that Alex apparently volunteered to Olivia. Mm -hmm. So it's sure as shit not Olivia's fault that she slept with Alex. You know, <laughs> she's a single lady just doing her thing repeatedly. Yep. <laughs> Get it, Olivia. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's also hard for me with Izzy a little bit because Izzy and Alex, have they been on maybe two dates? Right. We don't really know what the timeline is on this. It's it's somewhere yeah. between Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're definitely seeing each other. They're not sleeping with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't appear that they're exclusive is what I'm getting at. No, I totally agree. I mean to say that when I say that I like to see Izzy's rage is because Izzy's like hopelessly optimistic about everything in her life. And to see sort of her blind rage is, is for some reason incredibly satisfying <laughs> to me. <laughs> but I agree, right? Like Olivia, it pisses me off that Izzy's anger is so focused on, it's not just exclusively focused on Olivia, but but she sort of expects all of her friends to be on her side, which I get that. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute and how that plays out. But that she expects George to be pissed off at Olivia. And granted, George got syphilis from Olivia. But I just think that, that that's I think that's a little off base. I think that Izzy's anger at Olivia is off base when when truthfully, she's she should be 
mad at Alex if she's pissed that, you know, he did something that she thought was outside of the parameters of their relationship. Right. But frankly, she and Alex just have terrible communication skills and they don't talk about their relationship. Right. Like he's been suffering from ED for weeks and like <laughs> we're not really talking about it. And it's hard to or they don't talk about it with each other. And so it's hard to really chalk a whole lot up to the rules of their relationship when it just is so clear that it's undefined. That's exactly it. Like, the only thing that there really is to be mad about is the lack of, like, adult communication between the two of them. Right. Um, and I, which is the thing yeah, to get, get pissed like, about. Yeah. I feel that 100%. Yes. But. Yes. And she has, in her defense, has tried to sort of talk to him, right? It's not, she's tried to sort of start conversations with him. And he's always like, what? I like you. What up? Like, we don't, you know, like he's anti-communication. <laughs> right. And I get that it sucks no matter what your relationship status so is. So she doesn't have a lot to work she with. She doesn't. She doesn't. And I really appreciate the fact that it sucks to walk in on somebody who you like having sex with someone else yeah right like i'm there for izzy's frustration and pain in that moment you know that like that's a shitty thing to see but at the end of the day like i don't really i don't know i think it's a communication issue more than anything else yeah i i agree which so that kind of leads us to a question that we both had which is Mm -hmm. How do we feel? So Izzy is mad then at the friend group because, as you'll recall, Alex has failed his intern exam and so he has to retake it. And so everyone's Meredith, at the very least, not everyone, but Meredith specifically in this episode is still sort of maintaining a friendliness with Alex, (laughs) meaning she still talks to him. (laughs) And Izzy sees them talking and is just really upset at and, this. Yeah, and, and, you know, frankly, like, they're not just sitting there shooting the shit, right? Yeah. Alex Alex has, has killed a patient, right? He is, his decision has led to a patient being in a persistent vegetative state that he's clearly not going to wake up from. And Alex is looking for a Hail Mary. He's researching, he's looking, he's spending, you know, he's staying up all night trying to figure out an answer to help save a patient. And he's clearly going through a shit time. And Meredith, of course, says, well, I'll help you look. What are we looking for? And opens up a book and Izzy walks in, right? So it's not like they're sitting there having a beer talking about Izzy. Right. You know, like she's trying to professionally help him through something that he's working on, through a mista- a professional mistake he's made, which Meredith is uniquely qualified to help him with. Yeah. You know? And so I, I we both had this question ultimately of like, is it legit that Izzy is pissed with Meredith? Because then, you know, Izzy freaks out at Meredith and says, like, take his side. You know, like, nobody's here for me. You know, <laughs> essentially, you're a bitch for talking to Alex. <laughs> yes. She even gets in a dig about, you know, Meredith's like, it's not like I slept with him. And she's like, Izzy, you're making way too big a deal out of this. Right, of course, because I'm the unreasonable one. You know what, Meredith? Do whatever you want. Sleep with the guy for all I care. Well, obviously, I'm not going to sleep with him, Izzy. Why not? You slept with everyone else. Right. <laughs> Rude, Izzy. You know, initially I was like, Izzy, come on. You know, like, it's not, you're all kind of, I thought she was sort of overreacting, right? Of like, she's just talking to him. She's just trying to help him through a rough time. And then they eventually talk about it, Meredith and Izzy do. And Izzy's point is essentially like, you, you, I was so there for you when you were in the ditch with Derek. You know, like, he really left you hanging out to dry in the worst way that a man can, you yeah. know. And I was really, really there for you. And and I really appreciate that. And, and Izzy says this one thing that I think is so, so valid. And she says, you know, when somebody says to you, when you're having a rough time and someone says to you, it's going to be okay – that's not comforting. It's condescending. Right. And I think that that's like a universal truth that I I think we're actually all collectively experiencing based on the election, you know, like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And that is, that is like one of the least helpful things that you can say in the face of immediate trauma. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever level of trauma that is. And, and I think that Izzy's really pointing out uh, that's really accurate. And that I think ultimately for me personally has me come down on Izzy's side of this, of this debate, right? Like, Yes, Meredith is just trying to help a friend, but Izzy, like, really, really stood up for Meredith in a way that I really appreciated when Meredith was going through a hard time. And I think that um, Meredith could have shown a little bit, not a, not more loyalty to Izzy, but more, I don't know, I, I'm not quite sure what I was looking for there, but something more 
maybe it is loyalty to to her side. Yeah, I I think that I would tend to agree with that. You know, as as much as I kind of am like, well, you didn't really set the parameters of your relationship. Right. right. I do feel as a pretty loyal friend that you got to put your you got to put your better friend for you know what I mean like you rank your friends yeah. by importance and so yeah it, in a way Meredith was communicating to Izzy that Alex was more important than Izzy because Izzy had made it pretty explicit that they weren't to talk to Alex <laughs> Yes. So by sort of directly going against that, that's what she was communicating to Izzy, whether she meant to or not. And that's not exactly. OK, especially because Izzy was pretty, you know, emotionally available to Meredith with the McDreamy shit, you know. Yeah. And it's not like I mean, I get that that Meredith has a friendship with Karev, but in terms of of a foundation of a friendship like Alex has never done really anything good for any of these other interns <laughs> right. right you know like he's he has no ground to to work with right like he's just not he's not a very good friend you know he's had some really frank honest conversations with Meredith which we've all pointed to as poignant and beautiful in light of the fact that he's never truly done anything supportive for any of his friends yeah you know, and he's got it's why we have a bit of the week named after him. Right. Is that he's a real dick and it's hard to really when, when Izzy do, is such a bleeding heart and does so much for her friends in such obvious, specific ways. It's sort of like I, I you know, I get her frustration with Meredith in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would agree. Should we do we have any more from the actual story from the actual episode that we need to discuss? I don't think so. I think we're on for the bits. All right. Let's do some bits. My bits um, are a little thin <laughs> this week, I would say. I was watching this episode last night, and I just felt like I really liked this episode, but in terms of, of obvious bits. Yeah, nothing necessarily stood out as huge. Yeah, so song of the week. I mean, I first of all, I I, I did not have anything that stuck out. I would like you to talk us through your, your idea of the uh, song of the week. Yeah, I was... You know, it's the second week in a row that we've had to listen to a James Blunt song. So I, I'm lodging a protest vote for no song of yes. the week because how dare this show? How dare you, Shonda? Right? Really? I feel like pretty betrayed. I mean, I understand how you can let one James Blunt song slip in over the course of 12 years of a show. Unironically. But two back to back? But two back to back is like, wow. That was a conscious choice and one that I can't. You know, Shonda is like a closeted James Blunt fan, is really what's coming out. Apparently. And after this episode, somebody was like, hey, Shonda. Yeah. (laughs) No more. She was like, really? We were like, yeah. He's the fucking worst. (laughs) (laughs) So, no song of the week, protest vote because of James Blunt. Exactly. Exactly. Is Death Tally 2? Uh, well, has Mar- did Martin die? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to be honest. Does he ever, like, do we ever actually see him? I think that what we when we see Derek say, I remember the first patient I killed. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mr. Martin is lying, you know, feet away. I think we can understand that he's dead. Yeah, okay, I think so. So, so... The the Wikia page says he was unconscious and had a very small chance to wake up. He didn't wake up, but Alex sat with him because he didn't want him to die alone. So I guess they probably disconnected they him. They just didn't. Sh- they just didn't show that he him. died. Like we usually consider a death when they like call time when of you death. You know. Beep. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, that's the noise. Um, but. We didn't see that for him, but I think we can count him as a death. Yeah, yeah. And then, and of then course, the Quint. the Quint. Which one? Emily. Ju- Emily. 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 What? 007? 007. <sighs> yeah, we, do, we digressed I... on a lot of these, which is good. Yeah. Everything was the same last episode. <laughs> I had Izzy question mark. I mean, I, I do think that she was over emotional in this episode and the last one in terms of her relationship with Dory and the Quince. Um, but, you know, after sort of reflecting on our conversation about what Addison did to 
Izzy in this particular episode. I, I can't really blame her, though. I don't know. She was kind of just my gut instinct because no one ever. I don't know. Yeah, that's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stand up for Izzy a little bit here in that it's yeah, not like yeah, she. It. It's not like she killed this patient, right? Like this patient was right, gonna die no right. matter what she did. So. To my mind, I mean, Izzy could even be in the running for chief resident because she did so much in the Mm -hmm. episode to try and keep the infant alive, even though there was absolutely no medical way to keep the kid alive through the morning. Yeah. 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 So I can see. I hear I hear that argument. Who did you have for 007? Yeah. Kind of by virtue of that unfair setup, I gave the 007 to Addison Shepard because Ah. I felt like she wildly misjudged her student. And she was a poor teacher. And so uh, it's not that she provided any kind of bad medical care. She didn't. You know, she did everything she could for this particular Quint and has been acquitting herself really well with the others. But she was a poor teacher and a poor mentor to to Izzy. And I feel like that has far-reaching consequences, actually. Yeah, and that's a huge part of her job as an attending, you know. Yeah. And in the short term, it it almost certainly means that Izzy is not going to be uh, specializing in Pete's. So that's kind of yeah. a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Karev of Chief the Week. Resident? Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. I skipped. Whichever. Ahead. Karev of the Week. Uh, Karev. <laughs> Who'd you have for Karev of the Week? Karev of the Week. <laughs> I had George because he was just such a dick to Olivia. And yeah. it was coming on the heels of him being a similarly, like, slut-shaming dick to Meredith. And and just, he's got to stop slut-shaming people. <laughs> just because he really he's not does. getting any and he's bitter about it <laughs> doesn't mean he gets yep. to judge the crap out of everyone who is. So, George, he's a dick. George. But I like yours. <laughs> <laughs> I said Derek. <laughs> we sort of skipped over and this plot point. <laughs> That's because it's not a real plot point. <laughs> But it was to you. It's real to you. It was. It was real to me. <laughs> that this episode starts off with Addison uh, sort of pleading with Derek to move out of the trailer, that they need to get a, quote, real house. And she didn't sign up to live in the forest. And and there's a lot of sort of subtle things that happen in this episode between their sort of in passing arguments. But there's also this great scene at the very end when Derek's... <laughs> walking out of the hospital you know presumably at the end of his shift and he has like a like a forest green flannel shirt and like an ll bean vest over it to like really highlight that he loves the outdoors (laughs) he's gone full seattle (laughs) right but it's such an obvious thing right like we never really see him being outdoorsy right there's sort of some conversation around it But it's this sort of like throwaway because Addison doesn't want to live in the forest. They show Derek wearing a flannel shirt and a vest. (laughs) And it's just it's just a funny thing to me. Anyway, I was like conscious of it the entire episode. But Derek will not engage even with a conversation with the wife he chose over the woman that he loves about how she doesn't want to live in a trailer. (laughs) Right. Despite the fact that they're both like very clearly, you know, like Addison has a trust fund, <laughs> you know, like she's a wealthy lady. They're both world renowned surgeons in their fields. And and he insists on living in a disgusting trailer that's approximately, you know, 200 square feet. Yeah. And it's really fucking funny. But it makes him a real dick that he will not even engage in the conversation with her. <laughs> I loved that this meant, like, this was such a betrayal to you that it came up not once but twice in your notes. Oh, yeah. It came up zero times in my notes. So I think we know how Megan would feel if Jacob were like, we're going to live in this trailer in the woods. Here's the thing. I would do it for a while, right? Like, I would do it How do you feel about tiny house hunters? I hate it. Like... I don't understand. It's like house I, hunters. I under- people and house hunters are already the worst people on the planet. And right. then we've decided to take from that pool of people the absolute worst of the house hunters. And that's tiny house hunters. And here's the thing is that I'm all for the tiny, tiny house movement. If that's if that's like your torch that you're going to burn of like personal footprint on the environment. That's great. That is so great. But guess what? Derek and Addison... Montgomery Shepard do not give a shit about the environment (laughs) this is Derek's like petty little I'm not over the fact that you slept with my best friend and so I'm gonna make you live in the woods with your Prada shoes 
Yeah. And I just think it's, like, selfish and rude. And it's not, like, it's just, I just think it's terrible. It's not great behavior. It continues a pattern of not great behavior. Um, what happened to their Like, if you want to build a house on the property, just fucking build a house on the property, yeah. okay? Like, I don't understand. I just don't understand Are they? That. Did they give up on couples counseling? Because Clearly they did, because they cannot even have. Feels like they might have. Definitely feels like they did. What about our uh, chief resident? I gave it to Meredith. Yeah. You know, she had a... a <laughs> okay. She had a great move where one of the quints was having a hard time breathing and she so she co-bedded it with the one healthy healthy quint. Yeah. And it's it is and I've read about this before that it is a thing, right? That you can co-bed infants and and it makes them stronger. So, you know, if they've shared a womb, which makes complete sense, right? It's for the same reason that that newborns don't like to be in hospitals is because the lights are so bright because the womb is dark or, you know, because newborns like to have loud noises because the womb is loud, right? You kind of want to replicate. It's why we swaddle babies. You know, you want to replicate the womb as much as possible. So if you're used to sharing a womb with four other babies, <laughs> probably co-bedding is a good idea. <laughs> anyway, so, Mer- so when I thought more about when I gave it to Meredith, part of it is because Meredith is like very she's like totally lauded for this decision, right? Bailey like gives her the rest of the night yeah. off for what actually is like a pretty common sense thing. <laughs> but I felt like it seems weird that no one else thought of it. Nobody else thought of it. And everybody's jazzed that Meredith thought of it. And I'm sort of like, all right, well, if Bailey thinks that Meredith is a chief resident, she must be right. And that's kind of why I gave it. That's why I gave it to Meredith to be completely honest. I, you know what? That's honestly sound reasoning, and it's a better reasoning than than what I came up with for my chief president. So, I give you all the credit in the world for that. Tell me who you picked. So, <laughs> I picked the intern's new dog, mm. and my thinking here was that everyone was really sad and feeling pretty terrible, and then they got the new dog, and now everyone's really happy. So. What could possibly be, like, more efficient than a dog? <laughs> it's great. It's great. So. So Teresa gave it to a dog. Yes. <laughs> That's where I'm at with humans. I just. Yeah. I respect your vote entirely. Yeah. You know who didn't vote for Donald Trump, for sure? Dogs. That dog. Any dogs. <laughs> Any dog. Not a single dog in this country voted for Donald Trump. So I therefore vote for dogs. Doc the dog. They don't they call the dog Doc? I think so. Yeah. Which is I don't know why I fucking like that so much. I just think it's delightful. It's pretty cute. <laughs> uh, I also really love that George hates the yeah. dog. <laughs> and I do too. So it's yet another vote for Doc the dog. Line of the week? I f- <laughs> that was your line of the week, huh? I got nothing. Yeah. I got nothing. It's like song of the week all over again. <laughs> I decided to take up this mantle for us both. And my line Thank of the you. week, if I can just find it here. I There were several lines of the week, actually, I felt. There was one where <laughs> Derek is mad at Meredith because she's like trying to categorize him as something. I don't even remember the larger context of the conversation, but Derek has the wonderful quote, don't peg me. I'm not peggable. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, 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 you totally are. You you could totally be pegged. I could peg you. It's pretty funny. So could Meredith. Addison probably does. So no one believes that. Yep. My actual line of the week was Yang to Izzy at the very beginning of the episode when she says, I like you better and pissed off. I'm almost like a normal person now. Yeah. <laughs> That's where my sentiment comes from of being happy that Izzy is pissed. <laughs> you know, it's like, we yeah. get her now. Get mad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can finally exactly. relate to Izzy. <laughs> Do you want to take us through your, like, fucking terrifying medical fact of the week it's i would love to it's awful i got scared reading it and stopped (laughs) yeah so i decided to kind of take a more political bent with my medical fact of the week and i so i basically i just wanted to get into solitary confinement so we meet this person sherry jaffe 
who has been in solitary confinement, which Bailey seems to have a lot of empathy for. And she should, because frankly, solitary confinement, in my opinion, is is a violation of human rights. And I just Mm -hmm. I just pretty much feel that. And I to be fair, that was like my working hypothesis. And then I worked backwards from there. So (laughs) that is my bias. (laughs) But uh, most of this comes from an article written by George Vorsky in July of 2014 on io9, which is just this fantastic um, sci-fi fantasy site that I really enjoy. But they oftentimes get into psychology and tech issues as well. They're actually now Mm. uh, a part of Gizmodo, which is the larger tech site, and then io9 as a subsite. But anyway, I love so many of the writers on that website. They're fantastic. So they're sort of going through, you know, what solitary confinement is. At that time, solitary confinement was in the news, um, particularly because there was a a sort of national conversation over whether it was okay to put juvenile inmates in solitary confinement in federal prisons. Mm -hmm. Um, And so let's see. According to the Washington Post, the president, President Obama did ban um, it by executive order, executive action. Um, he announced a ban on solitary confinement for juvenile offenders in the federal prison system, saying the practice is overused and has the potential for devastating psychological consequences. So this IO9 piece is interested specifically in what those psychological consequences are. So George, mm. uh, so the author goes into, you know, solitary confinement in a shoe or a solitary housing unit can cause irreversible psychological effects in as little as 15 days, oh which is God. horrific. That's two weeks. So there's no universal definition for solitary confinement, but the United Nations describes it as any regime where an inmate is held in isolation from others, except guards, for at least 22 hours a day. So there's there's a difference between shoe facilities and in the prisons that we think of, right? Low or medium security. So sure. In low and medium security jails, prisoners are thrown into the shoe for just a few days, and it's a corrective measure. So if you've ever seen mm-hmm. Orange is the New Black, which if you haven't, what are you doing? Um, right. But if you've ever seen Orange is the New Black, you see that this is the case, that it's used as extra punishment on top of the fact that you're already a prisoner. Right. In maximum security prisons, though, individuals in solitary are held on average for five years Five years. Holy fucking shit. Of total solitude for at least 22 hours a day. And there are thousands of cases of prisoners who have been held in solitary confinement for decades. Oh, God. So associations like the APA, the American Psychological Association, are concerned with whether or not people who have been held in solitary confinement for long periods of time, essentially longer than 15 days, longer than two weeks, can they even be reintroduced into the rest of the inmate population, let alone the world, right? Jesus Christ. So some countries, and this, this is where things get really horrifying, some countries, including the United States, employ the use of what are called supermax prisons, super maximum security prisons, in which solitary confinement is the norm rather than something that is used as a punishment. Okay, so in in California, according to this report um, on IO9, it has been shown that inmates held in super maximum facilities are 33 times more likely to commit suicide than other prisoners incarcerated elsewhere in the state. That is the least surprising thing that you've said in the last four right? and a half minutes. 33 times more like, likely to oh, commit absolutely. suicide. And that's just one state. Absolutely. That's like a pretty small sample size. And that's kind of a, the problem with trying to judge the psychological effects of solitary confinement because no one would ever really sign off on, 
you know, a study on solitary confinement. And prisons don't necessarily want to um, allow that kind of access in order to find decisive conclusions about it. Um, So then there are there's a racial component to all of this as well, which, of course, there always is when we're talking about our our system of mass incarceration. But a 2005 prison census showed that non-white prisoners are substantially overrepresented in supermax facilities specifically. So this is this is not even scratching at the surface of the issue of rampant mental illness in incarcerated populations in general. Right. Where a substantial proportion of people incarcerated in the United States are dealing with some kind of mental illness right now in the U S it is still acceptable to put a mentally ill person into solitary confinement. That is not forbidden. So (laughs) again, this is, this is just ever more evidence that our current prison system is really bent toward uh, punishment and what the UN would describe as torture rather than reform. Yes. Rather than yes. Um, trying... Rehabilitation. Exactly. Oh. Rather than Absolute, rehabilitating yeah. individuals to get them back out into the world. Because if you're putting people in solitary, you're not... It's not rehabilitation. Yeah, you're not going to be it's able to not. rehabilitate them. Right. Right. By definition. <laughs> Like, uh, so, so the good news is that people are, are being more widely critical of solitary confinement as a practice in the U.S., certainly in the rest of the world. Um, you know, the United Nations seems to be pretty, um, pretty progressive on, on, what they, on how they classify solitary confinement. But as of yet, the, the ban that President Obama ordered is, is only for juveniles. Um, and, and with the thinking being that for juvenile brains that are still developing, right. it's even more devastating um, oh, than, it is, than it is for adults. Yeah. Um, so. Kind of makes me want to eat a light bulb, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, no, like, shocker then that this character would go to such extremes. Um, yes. In order, in order to get out of that situation. So according to solitarywatch.com, which is, again, an extremely biased source that's looking to sort of uh, ban solitary confinement as a practice and raise awareness about the consequences of solitary confinement, they say that currently available, and this was actually corroborated by the io9 article as well, but currently available estimates suggest between 80,000 to 100,000 incarcerated persons are held in some form of isolated confinement in the United States. That's a lot of people. Well, oh, God, that's terrible. That's so bad. It's truly, truly awful. Um, If you're interested in learning more about solitary confinement, uh, specifically, you know, solitary watch, as I said, solitarywatch.com seems to be a a pretty good resource. Just a lot of information here. Um, You can also, you know, there are a lot of organizations that set up, you know, letter writing between Um, people who are not incarcerated Mm -hmm. and those who are you can always sort of um, join an organization that promotes literacy in prisons etc and I would also just highly recommend reading about mass incarceration the prison industrial complex those are two really great keywords Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates had a great piece in the Atlantic Um, I believe yeah I believe that was last year over the summer and I would really re- it's a long read but I would yes. really recommend sitting down with that and acquainting yourself with the the racial stratification of our prison system as well particularly when we're talking about mass incarceration and then of course Absolutely. Mother Jones had a huge investigative report where they sent a reporter undercover into a private prison and that is also particularly relevant right now as um, Obama, the Obama administration has said they're not going to grant any more contracts to private prisons. And of course, which is 
that's huge. huge but we're now in a transition period where private businesses are lauded you know, for everything they one do. of the first things people noted after the election of donald trump was that um, one of the few stocks that soared after the election was private prisons stock in you know the profit off of, uh, so think about that okay. <laughs> so on that genuinely horrific note i think that's all we got <sighs> that's all we got guys Despite the sadness, I'm very happy to be back with our podcast with our listeners. Yes. And, um, yeah, that's just fucking terrible, man. <laughs> yeah. It's just yes. fucking terrible. So we are, we are still living in a place of, of just anger and sadness and just trying to find ways to fight back. So, you know, if you're, if you're finding good, cool stuff that you want us to shout out either on the show or on the site or something, um, we're we're definitely around for that. Some good news with like one of the few bright spots in our lives right now, which are these weekly chats. Uh, we did hit a thousand listeners on Podbean. A thousand downloads. We did on Podbean. Oh man, and that's awesome. Yeah. Go us. Woo-hoo. Thanks, guys. So well, go you guys, <laughs> yeah, not go yeah. us. Go you go guys. Everyone. <laughs> uh, unless you. Um. So <laughs> you can reach out to us. <laughs> via email codegrays at gmail.com you can find us on our website on tumblr code-grays.tumblr.com and you can reach out to us on twitter at code underscore grays underscore and then you can always listen to us pretty much anywhere where podcasts can be found which includes itunes you know give us five stars because why not nothing matters um (laughs) <laughs> it's true. Uh, Podbean, our wonderful host, Acast, Stitcher. So check us out. Tell your friends. I was waiting to see. We you. love you. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say. Hi. I don't know why you were really on a roll. We love you guys. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>